Welcome to the Payoff Pitch out here on Birdland Radio. I'm Paul Valley. And joining me from UtahStreetReport.com uh, today is Derek Arnold. Derek, how are we doing today? Doing great, Paul. How are you, man? I just got done uh, embarrassing myself playing about seven innings of wiffle ball. Uh, I'm sure some people listening to the show might have watched the video of the guy throwing like crazy curveballs. I wasn't even going against him. I was going against like these other bloggers and podcasters. And I'm old, so I'm like, if you hear me trying to catch my breath, that's why. I'm not going to be able to walk tomorrow. I have grass stains. I'm going to go home. My wife's going to think, you know, it's like a child. What have you, <laughs> why do I have to wash your pants already? Honey, I was playing wiffle ball with my friends. Sorry about that. Yeah, I actually saw the video myself uh, when I was sitting at home watching some other baseball games earlier today. And I was like, you know what? I'm not showing up early enough to play some wiffle ball. I want to embarrass myself out there. So, you know, it's, it's pretty funny stuff. And, we, you know, we're, we're talking today. Uh, the Orioles are coming off a win against the Yankees. Yesterday they won the game 5-3. to three. Got a little... Yeah, won a game, right? <laughs> got got a little uh, iffy there in the ninth inning, but they managed to pull it out. And you know that was much to the chagrin of a lot of Yankee fans who expected the Yankees to go oh to go nineteen zero against the Orioles this year. And guess what, New York? Uh, as we speak right now, the Orioles are up three nothing on the Yankees in the second inning, thanks to a Renato Nunez three run homer in the uh, first inning, giving the Yankees a little bit of a taste of their own medicine from opening day. So, Derek, I I joined the. Uh, what was it called? Bronx Pinstripes uh, Yankees podcast last week to talk about the Orioles, give them a preview. And both the host and his co-host said that they expected the Yankees to go 19-0. And I said, I didn't think it was at all possible. Um, sure enough, it's not. The Orioles won the second game of the year. What's your take? Do you think it's possible for any team to go 19-0 and and sweep a season series against a division rival? I just think it's really, really out of the question for anybody. No, that's ridiculous. And obviously those Yankee fans are just setting some, themselves up for disappointment with that. I mean, like, I, I can understand the sentiment, right? Like, the Orioles, ah, it's a double-A roster. They don't belong on the same field as the Yankees, blah, blah, blah. Like Earl Weaver said, man, you still got to throw the ball over the plate and see what happens. And the Orioles, much to my surprise, probably your surprise, they got that first win out of the way, not just early, but in New York – you know, so if if one and one ends up being the high water point of the 2019 Orioles season, not so bad. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was definitely exciting. I was at work watching the uh, the Orioles try to close it out. My my the restaurant I work at still doesn't have Masson, so I'm watching it uh, a lot. Not even a live stream, like the little game cast. You don't have any pool there. Is this- Come on, guys. we got to get Masson. I've been talking to them about it for four months, man, and they, I think they finally ordered it. So when I go in tomorrow, I might be able to watch a 7 o'clock game. Not so bad. But uh, I was watching it on the game cast and having a mini heart attack while my table is five feet away from me watching me sweat over nothing. Over yeah, there. right. Like, I heard um, one, of the, one of the shows earlier today was like, it's one thing in um, spring training to say, this year will be fun because I don't have to care if, if they win or lose, right? And then when – a ninth inning collapse in Yankee Stadium is staring you right in the face, even though it's game two. All of a sudden, you care very, very much whether or not they win or lose. And that just sort of speaks to the passion that is not just Oriole fans, but any sports fan. Like, you say, I don't care if my team's going to win or not. In the heat of the moment, you care. Oh, absolutely you care. And, you know, it. you play this game, yes, you want to see progression of the younger players. You want to see you know, what we have for the future. Maybe the results don't matter so much this year as they will in two or three years. But you're ultimately still going out on the field every day because tell the 25-man roster that they're not expected to win and see what they have to say about that. I just don't think that you can watch this game and not want to win, even if you are going for that for a second straight year, the first pick in the, in the draft. But um, it kind of brings to mind a point that you brought up to me a little bit earlier today. 
And that's how the Orioles are kind of a, a punching bag for the rest of the league as far as pundits and journalists who are just kind of poking fun at how bad they are. What do you think about everybody just kind of kicking the Orioles when they're down as if being the worst team in baseball isn't bad enough? Isn't that sort of – it's sort of something, man. Like I definitely heard um, RDT and Ryan and Kyle talked about this earlier. Like um, the sheer volume of just dunking on the Orioles that's been going on from national writers. Like and these are the people for who years talked about how – the Orioles are overachievers, and their projections are terrible, and they're winning with smoke and mirrors, and like none of this is for real. So now, like they hire Michael Elias, they hire Sigma Dell, like they're doing things the, the way that, quote unquote, these baseball guys say is the right way to do things, and they're and they're still just getting dragged, right? Like I have a couple tweets here, like one from uh, Mike Petrello, he writes for Statcast. He says, "I've long been in favor of limiting mound visits, but I think it's okay to make an exception for Doug Brokale and Brandon Hyde." It's going to be a long year. Ha, ha, ha. Here's J.J. Cooper. Uh, he, he writes for, I believe, Baseball Almanac. One of the things I love about baseball, on any given day, you'll see something unexpected. And he has just a picture of yesterday's Orioles-Yankees score. Ha, ha, ha. The Orioles are terrible. They beat the Yankees. And I have one more. This is Lindsey Adler, who covers the Yankees for TheAthletic.com. The Yankees are three ineffective outs away from allowing me to tell my grandchildren I saw the 2019 Orioles win a game. What does she like, expect? Bro, I mean, what gives, right? Like, some of this, I think, stems from, like, the more general argument around baseball that says all these teams are tanking. They're not even trying to win. You have guys like um, Dallas Keuchel, shout out to the beard, and nice. um, Craig Kimbrell, not signed. And so, that, like, that's a big piece to say. Like, these teams aren't trying. There's major league players out there that don't have jobs. Maybe this is me just wearing my orange glasses, but I feel like the Orioles right now should sort of be exempt from that conversation. Given the division they play in, the fact that they've had a very respectable payroll for a, a good long time in a small to mid-market, right? And especially considering the missteps that they have taken, like, forever when it comes to scouting, development. Like, they, they more than any other team, were in desperate need of, like, a deep excavation of just this rot. I don't see them as being the same as, like, some AL Central team that doesn't sign Dallas Keuchel. Like, right. Well... I mean, one, it just doesn't make any sense because you know where the, where the team stands. It doesn't make sense to go out and sign somebody like that. And, you know, they had uh, Tony Clark. And I, I, I can't remember his exact exact position, but he's a top executive in Major League Baseball. And he comes in. Yeah, the, I think he's the head of the players' union, right? Yeah, right. That's, that's what he is. And he comes in to um, – he, he visited every team during spring training. He said that they're, that they're keeping an eye on the Orioles. As if to say that the Orioles being bad means that they're intentionally tanking the season to get another draft pick. Again – the 25 guys on the roster aren't tanking. They're playing their hearts out. They're trying to win games every day. And to me, these people coming out here, uh, Tony Clark excluded, because uh, he has to say what he has to say. Right. It's a cheap laugh. Yeah, let, let's talk about, yeah, just the the, the Twitter dunking by, yeah. like, people who should know better. Yeah, it's it's they're going for a cheap laugh, and it's like, you know what, been there, done that. You know, you're talking to a franchise that has, what, five winning seasons in the last 20-plus years? Right. So, and yeah. To me, it's like, what are you really trying to accomplish here? We get it. The team is bad. Right. Leave it alone. As yeah. if it's not bad enough to already be the worst team. Yeah, I um, I responded to Petrello. And, um, sorry, we have a home run by the Orioles. Um, Trey Mancini. Nice. Um, sorry, guys. Full disclosure, I can see the game in front of me. So if, if you hear, hear me reacting to things, that's probably either good or bad. Yeah, Derek stole um, the good seat. In yeah, yeah, yeah. Video. Stole the good seat. Um, <laughs> lost my train of thought. Uh, yeah, but just these people just dunking on the Orioles, 
I responded to Petrello, and I, I was like, dude, like, give it a rest. And he sort of answered and said, it's going to be a long year. You should just lean into it. And I was like, man, Orioles fans are. Like, you will not find, like, a more gallows humory bunch right now than Orioles fans. Like, we know. Like, like no one expects anything, like, from the Major League team this year. And it's sort of like a Baltimore thing. Like, if you're from Baltimore, you can hate on Baltimore. If you're if you're an Orioles fan, you can hate on the Orioles. Everyone else, just shut up. Yeah. You know? We know. We get it. Yeah, Bleacher Report put out a uh, tweet. It's funny because I, I, uh, I commented on your tweet yesterday. Bleacher Report put out a tweet the same day, um, and maybe the day before on the off day, and they were talking about how every year a last-place team has gone on to win a wild-card spot the next season, just about every year. And they said, which of these teams, they listed the Orioles and then a bunch of other last-place teams, has the best chance to make – to win a wild card this year after finishing last place last year. And then it said, okay, probably not the Orioles, but who else? And I commented to them, I was like, look, this is this is tacky and completely unnecessary. You know, just find find something else to talk about. You know, it's just, you know, and it actually kind of brings me to my next point that I wanted to go over. It's, yeah, please. Because we are being a little bit whiny here, but, yeah, you know, whatever. We, we reserve This is our show. Get exactly, exactly. Um, Orioles fans have been kind of getting kicked in the butt since 1984. You look at this team, from 1961 to 1983, they had 1790 win seasons and eight postseason appearances, and we all know they had those six pennants and those three world championships. Since 1984, I almost don't even want to talk about it. It's so bad. They have just 390 win seasons. They've won. They've had five postseason appearances. Mind you, no World Series appearances, no World Series titles, therefore. And they've had 22 losing seasons in 35 years. We're talking about a franchise that with this current rebuild probably won't win a World Series for a span of 40 years. How does that happen? As a fan, we all, and look, we all get into covering the Orioles at the, you know, if we're not doing this professionally, we didn't come from someplace else because somebody recruited us. We're doing this because we grew up as Orioles fans. And we're fans first and foremost, and then we want to take it into an, onto a professional level. So... We're a long-suffering fan base. To me, how do you let your city go without even coming close to a World Series for 40 years? How do you let that happen? And, you know, I'm sitting there, and I was thinking about this on Thursday. I was super excited for opening day, as I always am. And then with one out in the first inning, the Orioles are already down 3 to nothing. we We've already seen a ball bounce off ER running the bases. <laughs> so uh, your famous hashtag, that's so O's. Right, all right. You know, and it's... I'm sitting there, and I was already, like, down in the dumps because how long do we have to watch this? And, yes, the uh, the future looks bright. We have the right people in place now. It seems like the Orioles are finally doing the right things and making the right moves to get back to being a perennial contender like they were from, for three decades. How much how much suffering can one fan base really take, though? Yeah, right, man. I mean, it, it's unfortunate, um, and we've sort of become – not the lovable losers because that's sort of already taken. Um, just the losers, like we were talking about before, like sort of uh, laughing stocks. Um, a, a big joke, you know. The Orioles are a minor league team playing in a major league division, and it's been through a couple of different ownership groups. Um, Peter Angelos, I think his, as far as trying to put a, a winning club on the team, his heart was always in the right place, especially in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, the Orioles, Orioles were one of the first teams to spend a whole lot of money on free agents and make it happen uh, and make it not quite happen. But so you can't get mad at it from that angle. You know, it's just it's it's been a, a little bit of bad luck. 
Um, and then following that, just some, some very bad meddling and decisions by ownership, poor contracts that where, like you said, now we have probably at least five years before we have another one. But for the first time in seemingly forever, uh, at least since you and I have been fans, which is basically since we've been alive and since that 1984 thing that you talked about, like there's maybe someone in place who can build it the right way as long as not Peter Angelos this time, but his sons uh, sort of step back and let him do his job the way that he obviously can. Well, I think that that's a, a good point. Hopefully, you know, the the Angelo sons run the franchise a little bit differently. I mean, you talk about, you know how a, a kid touches a hot stove, they burn their finger, and then they never t- do it again. That's like Peter Angelos with his free agent signings in the late 90s and early 2000s. You look at, you know, he gives that big contract to Albert Bell. Bell plays a uh, season in two-thirds, and then he's out of baseball, and he starts to be paid for the next five years. Um, and then you look at the, the five-year deal for Scott Erickson, who probably had about a five-and-a-half ERA over the course of that deal. Then he makes a trade for Sammy Sosa, and Sammy Sosa hits, what, 13 home runs in Baltimore? And you look at the three big free agents in Tejada and Palmero and Javi Lopez in 2004 that were brought in, and Palmero has a steroid issue, and Tejada has a steroid issue, and Javi Lopez has two good years, and then he's gone. It's like Peter Angelos touched that hot stove one too many times, and now he's never going to touch it again. Well, and then when he does decide to touch it again, it's Chris Davis. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so that goes back to what I was saying. There's a lot of bad luck involved in 40 years without a championship. Absolutely. Um, You brought up Michael Elias, and so I want to move to our next topic. I was going to write a blog about this, but I got lazy and figured I'd save (laughs) save it for today. Talk about you. During the opener on Thursday in New York, Mike joined um, Jim and Gary in the booth for an inning. It was a good conversation. Uh, one thing he said in particular caught my ear. Uh, someone had asked about whether or not Elias would consider age and a player's closeness to being MLB ready when he makes the first overall selection in this year's amateur amateur draft. Um, I'm going to paraphrase a bit, but the gist of it was uh, once we, meaning the Orioles, fly out of here, meaning New York, I'm going to get really into preparing for this draft. Now, I may be reading way too much into this, but for the sake of conversation, let's assume I'm not. Um, on the other hand, maybe plenty of people will point and laugh and say, duh, of course that's what he meant, idiot. Um, I'm used to that, whatever, bring it. Second, shut up. This is our hour again. Um, when Elias says he's heading off to focus on the draft, does that mean he's going to tap into his like scouting roots and head off for the next few months and watch players like Adley Rutschman and Bobby Witt Jr., whoever else is on, on his radar, with his own two eyes? Um, on the one hand, he probably has no more interest in watching Chris Davis and Mike Wright and Jesus Sucre than you and I do. Um, and it, information as far as like any potential future members of the team, uh, like say the Rule 5 guys, that could certainly be gathered and relayed to him by Brandon High and the coaches and everyone else who sort of ha- has eyes on this team every day. I don't want to suggest that Mike Elias is like the Jonah Hill character from Moneyball. You know, like he's looking at a spreadsheet and nothing else. Um, like I said, he cut his teeth as a scout, so he's not that guy. It makes sense that he would prefer to spend his time over these next few months sort of looking at players who might actually be important to the Orioles' future and not watching Chris Davis strike out three times a night and Andrew Kashner sort of nibble his way to six walks in four and two-thirds innings. Um, on the other hand, it sort of feels like Daddy went away on vacation and left us like fans and kids here to like do the chores while he's gone. So first off, first off 
Do you think that's what he means? And secondly, if that is what he means, does that bother you? Well, first, like you said, I mean, Elias got his start in scouting. He was an amateur scout for the St. Louis Cardinals when he first broke into Major League Baseball. Uh, he then went to the Astros as their director of amateur scouting and became their international scouting director. The, um, the thing about Mike Elias is that's what he loves to do. He loves to scout. And there have been reports of him after he took the job as the Orioles general manager. He's been going, he's been seen at high school games, scouting players in high school practices and whatnot, scouting players. So I do believe that in a sense, he will be out doing some of the scouting himself, but any good manager knows how to delegate. So I think he'll he'll do some of it himself, but probably not as much as it seems when he says, "As soon as I leave here, I'm going to I'm going to do that." Um, he probably has a bunch of guys all over. I know he does. He has a bunch of guys all over the place. He'll do what he can, but he's got so much other stuff to do too. He'll be around the ball club. I would I would have to imagine. Um, but. If he's not, I think that he hired a manager in Brandon Hyde that he can trust to run the ball club. Do I have a problem with Elias maybe not being around as much? No, not really. I mean, the expectations are so low for this team. They're expected to be so bad. What does it matter if he's here or not? Is he suiting up and you know going back to his left-handed pitching days at Yale and going out on the mound for us every fifth day? I, I mean, if he can't you know physically help the team on the field... You know, if what he's doing is going to help the team in the future and maybe hasten this rebuild, so we're not talking about 2024, maybe we're talking about 2021 or 2022, then go do what you have to do. You know, we're going to lose regardless, you know, so do what you have to do. For me, it does not matter if he's with the team every single day, as long as what he's doing is productive and helping the Orioles get better sooner. Yeah, and after thinking about it, that's sort of where I came down on it um, as well. So... Talking about the draft, um, you and I talked a little bit before we came on the air. You said that if they don't go with Adley Rutschman, you might be a little bit upset. I said that my tack on not just the draft, but pretty much anything Mike Elias does for the next at least two years, I'm going to try not to react too much to it and just be like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why he did that. But at the same time, I could, like if he goes and drafts somebody that we've never heard of in June, I'm, it's going to be a little bit hard to remind myself of that. So tell me what you see in Adley Rutschman that makes you say that's that's your guy. Well, I mean, first, you really can't – you want to trust the process. We've been preaching it. Trust the process. Uh, and the thing with Mike Elias is he was part of that Astros group that drafted Carlos Correa, and nobody thought Carlos Correa was getting drafted then. Not, if in the first round, not where, not the first overall pick. And it turned out to be a great pick. They they scouted. They they liked what they saw, and they said, "Hey, this guy is the guy. We, is the guy we want." So look, I'm never gonna not follow the Orioles. I'm never gonna not you know be a fan of the ball club. I see Adley Rutschman. I see a guy who is a, a stud defender behind the plate. He's got a golden arm. He hits. He's a switch hitter. Power and average from both sides of the plate. He's hitting. Last I checked, he was hitting 433. Going into this weekend's games after hitting 408 last year, and then he, I saw a bases clearing double from him from a from today's ball game that they played in. To me, Adley Rutschman is the he's clearly the best player out there right now. He's he's as close to major league ready as any player in the draft. I saw some uh, there was one analyst and forgive me for not remembering his name, but he was talking on MLB Network and he was asked, "Where would you put?" 
Adley Rutschman as far as the top 100 prospects right now if he had been drafted this past year, and he said he'd probably be my number eight prospect in baseball. And this is a guy who's still playing in college. So for me, he's clearly the best player, and when you're the worst team in baseball and you are have the number one overall pick, you take the number one overall player. Now, that's nothing against Bobby Witt Jr. Now, he's a high school player. I've never seen Bobby Witt Jr. play. I have no idea how good he is. I just hear how good he is. And if they take him, will I be upset? No, I won't be upset because he was the guy who was supposed to go first overall before uh, Rutschman even came into the picture. So if they go with yeah, him... We've been hearing that for like over a year, right? Um, right. Hashtag quit for Witt, right? Right, yeah. right. So if... if if it's if it's wit, fine. It's going to be one of those two players, unless somebody comes out of nowhere. And I just with the way Rutschman's playing right now, I cannot see somebody passing him. Passing him, yeah. So um, a lot of Oriole fans, and this is understandable from some perspective, they're a little bit gun shy about a bat first catcher getting taken high in the draft, right? Because right. because of Jesus and cleats, Matt Weeders, we heard um, that he was going to be. Joe Maurer with power. He was right. not that. Um, he was a very good defensive catcher for a while. Um, he, he was never really a, you know, even close to Joe Maurer with the stick. He was an average hitting catcher. Um, he had some power. But I would, I, what I would say to those O's fans is that was not this um, administration developing that player like i think the past regime sort of erred in having a bat first catcher focus on his defense and to matt weeders matt weeders credit like i said he got very good at defense he was never that much of a hitter but the orioles were telling him don't worry about that and i don't know if they sort of assumed that would just translate to the major league level or what but i would Wipe the slate clean. Don't think about Matt Weeders if they draft Rutschman and just, you know, give this new administration like some slack on that. No, I agree. And it's it goes back to the whole Peter Angels touching the hot stove thing. Just because it happened once doesn't mean it's gonna happen again. These are these are different players. Um and you're looking at Adley Rutschman as the centerpiece player on a team that just won the College World Series. And he was the College World Series MVP. Now Look, Weeders was a good player, and you know he's a backup now, but he's backing up a Hall of Famer in Yadier Molina in, in St. Louis. But he was a very good player. He was he was what a three time Gold Glove winner, four time All Star, or vice versa. That sounds right. You know what Matt Weeders did? He, he never turned with all that hype. You know, it's almost impossible to live up to the hype that that, that was put. Uh, on yeah, him. it wasn't fair at all. Like he was coming onto a, a, a just a terrible team, and the fan base viewed him as the savior. Remember, like, MattWeedersFacts.com. None of that was fair to him. But, uh, again, to his credit, he became a gold glove defender because that's what, that's what they told him to do. Maybe if they said, go win a batting title, maybe he does that. I have no idea. Maybe. I, I, I can't imagine that with that long, looping it's, swing. It's tough, you know? right? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, with Matt Weeders, it was, it, it was you know, Oh, man, his swing was so loopy. He just, so, remi- he just reminded so me. so long, man. But it, it, was, it was pay-per-view baseball. Because just loopy grounder to second so often, <laughs> and how slow he was like he was running oh, yeah, in mud. Refrigerator, him yeah, him but. and all right. So yeah, let's talk about that a um a, a little bit. Uh, it's funny that you brought that up. Um, coming into today's game when the Orioles have already hit two home runs, um, 
the the Mariners and Dodgers were tied for the MLB lead with 13 home runs each. Um, the Mariners have played like five games, though, while the Dodgers have only played three. The Orioles, um, until today, were one of four teams in baseball with no home runs. It was them, the Angels, Royals, and the Twins. That was the first time since 2001 that the Orioles went their first two games without a home run. So we talk a lot about like the new way of thinking in baseball, and a big part of that says that the best thing a hitter can do is hit a home run. Like To the exclusion of pretty much everything else, Batters should be swinging for the fences, not just every at bat, but like every swing. Like it's 0 2. Like none of this, like cut down your swing and get on base, you know, put the ball in play. It's just swing as hard as you can, uppercut swing, every swing. I might be like a little bit of hyperbole there, but that's pretty much it, right? You must have video of my amateur swing days. So, Mike Elias and Sig and all these guys, like they must be like all in on that sort of thinking. So, why they put together a team with no power. Like, obviously, sometime down the line, that's going to be, like, a big part of the plan. But right now, and I'm not saying this is, like, any sort of, like, good long-term plan or even medium-term plan or, like, plan until May. If if the Orioles keep going, like, two, three games without hitting a home run, not only are they going to lose a lot, like we assume, they're going to get blown out a lot, right? Like, because you need instant offense. But for now, like, isn't it, like, a little bit refreshing, like, for O's fans to see some manufactured runs, like, Stolen bases, guys going first to third, taking the extra base. Uh, in yesterday's win, the Orioles had a double steal that resulted in Gary Sanchez launching the ball into the outfield, and it, they scored a run. They had a catcher tag and go from second to third on a fly ball to center. It looked like Brett Gardner was shocked that that was happening. So you're putting pressure on the defense, and that's just like the kind of thing that we O's fans have not seen like forever. And it, it, it's a bit of a... Breath of fresh air, I think. You? No, yeah. Um, I mentioned when I was on that Bronx Penn Stars podcast that the Orioles from 2012 through last season, they were a beer league softball team. You know what I mean? It's it's mash home runs. Home run after home run after home run. We're not going to beat you with our pitching, So except for 2014. So what we're going to do is we're going to outslug the opponent. And if the, if if... If you're trying to outslug the opponent the last six years and last year results in 47 wins, then I would have to think that this year you have to learn from the past and maybe you don't you don't really care about the power. All, what, what you really want to do is see what these guys can do to manufacture runs, like you said, the double steal, the the sack fly, the center field. And that was with Jesus Sucre on second base trying to go to third on that. And Honestly, he should have been out, but it was, uh, it was actually a good slide by Sucre. But... For me, it's the you, – you're not going to win a lot of games. You've got to try to win by any means necessary. And maybe that's not the home run right now for the Orioles. No, they, they do have hitters on their team, Mancini and Nunez. They both homered today. And I saw – and we'll get into this later. You brought up a publication ranking, some of, ranking the Orioles' uh, active roster. And I saw something that said that Nunez should be potentially a 40-home run guy. For the Orioles. So they, they do have power in the system. If Chris Davis can ever get it going, you know, I just don't – I don't think it matters right now. I think the home runs will come with the, when they get more talent into the organization. So got a little uh, songbird in here with us today. It is Birdland, so Birdland Radio. Meanwhile, Bundy's got himself no bases loaded. Sorry about that, here. Paul. Thanks for coming for me. Apparently, I parked in a no-parking zone in a residential area. So oh. I'm back. There we go. There we go. 
No, yeah. Um, once the Orioles get more talent in the organization, the, the power will come. I don't think it, it really matters right now. And yes, it is like a breath of fresh air for the organization because they were they were trying to live and die by the long ball in the past. And now they don't have to. Yeah, right. It, and it was like you knew as an opposing team like how to stop the Orioles, right? Like as long as you keep them in the yard, they're not going to score any runs. And as much fun as we had with hashtag Dong City. <laughs> and just, you know, just all the home runs all the time. Um, it'll be nice to see a little bit different. Like I said, putting pressure on the defense, and we saw some of that on um, on Saturday. So far today, we're back to the dongs. So it's nice to ha- be able to win in more than one way, even if this team isn't going to win anyway, right? Right. Well, you know, it is nice to see the team up for nothing here, um, but it's this season is about evaluation and what what I mean. Whether the team hits 208 home runs and wins, you know, 61 games or hits 127 home runs and they win 57 games, what does it really matter at, at, at the end of the day? It's all about evaluating the roster. So. Yeah, right. And we just saw um, we saw Bundy pitch out of a base loaded jam, which is nice. So it's count up over 60 for yeah. three innings. <laughs> so one of the things I'm watching this year is definitely Dylan Bundy. Like, the Astros obviously have some sort of like secret sauce with pitchers, right? Like they made Charlie Morton into a really good starting pitcher in his mid thirties. In his mid, yeah, like he he was written off, and now he's in Tampa, and I feel like they'll probably do the same thing. And even more impressive to me was what Houston did with Justin Verlander. Like every like it was sort of like the corpse of Justin Verlander, and now he's back to being like twenty six year old Justin Verlander. They figured something out. I hope that whatever they figured out, um, Mike and Sig were privy to, and I'm really curious to see if um, they can bring any of that to a guy like Dylan Bundy, who we've seen flashes from. Like he, he obviously he doesn't have nearly the track record of a Verlander, but like for the first month last year, he was he was really good. Like we know what he can do, and we're not quite sure what happened. And I'm really curious to see like does. The spin rate on his fastball change. Does like the percentage of off speed versus fastballs he uses change? Does he drop a pitch? Does he pick up a pitch? Things like that. Right. And look, Dylan Bundy, when he got drafted by the Orioles out of high school, he was at one point the number one prospect in all of baseball. And he had that ninety eight mile an hour fastball and then he had Tommy John surgery. And he's lucky if he hits ninety four. He usually stays in the eighty nine to ninety two range now. And Billin Billin. Dylan likes to pitch up in the zone. Uh, from what I've seen, and that's what led to a major league leading 41 home runs allowed last year. Because when you're throwing a 92 mile an hour fastball at its peak, at the top of the zone, major league players now know how to handle that. Now, so far today, he's wiggled out of trouble. Uh, he's he's looked okay. Like I said, that pitch count is way higher than you want through three innings. He's at like 63 pitches through three innings. But that's just a very Orioles thing. Just 20 yeah. pitches per inning for every starting pitcher. That's just par for the course. Well, it sounds about right. In this day and age with the opener and the emphasis on the bullpen, if you're getting, you know, five, six innings out of your starter, a lot of teams would take that. So, but what I'm excited to see, as you alluded to, uh, Sig Dell and Mike Elias coming over from the Astros, um, what and their uh, impact on Dylan Bundy, I'm excited to see their impact on guys like Mike Wright and David Hess. And then in the minor leagues, they're getting here where a left-handed heavy fastball guy like Keegan Aiken is coming up through your system. He's probably your next big-time minor league pitcher to come up here and try to make a name for himself. How did, how did them being here impact him? 
or Zach Lothar or D.L. Hall or the guy from Arkansas who dominated Oregon State in the first game of that uh, College World Series last year, Blaine Knight. Knight, yeah. They they drafted him. I'm really excited to see that guy pitch. And this is his first full pro season with uh, a new regime in Elias and Midell. I think Orioles fans, if you want to get excited about something, get excited to see what these guys can do for our young pitchers coming up because at the end of the day, pitching wins championships. And if the Orioles are able to develop these young pitchers into studs, the studs that they were in college and they started out to be in the minor leagues, we have nothing but, but you know, bright futures to look forward to. Yeah, man. And um, it was uh, I'm pretty sure it was Steve Molesky of Masson that had an article like uh, two weeks ago about how um, – the Orioles minor league camp down in Sarasota was just, you know, they got all, all, all these cameras set up and like all these advanced analytics that they were feeding to the players and how much the players loved it. You know, like these kids are in their early twenties. They've grown up with the sort of data revolution in baseball, right? Like they want to know their spin rate. They want to know what's ha- like, what's the exit velocity f- for me when I throw this pitch. And it goes back to like last year it was like every time the Orioles traded a pitcher, I remember this happened with Brock and with Britton. Like <laughs> there were quotes like in the in the paper, like how shocked they were at how much information that their teams were giving them all, all of a sudden, and it it just sort of makes you shake your head at like how much better maybe they could have been here if we were with the times. But at, at the same time, it makes you excited for. Uh, having guys that are given those young players you mentioned that sort of information. So, uh, yeah, like um, the development of the minor league pitchers this year is very exciting. You, I don't think you even mentioned Hunter Harvey, right? Like, no, I, you know so, what? He, he's almost forgotten. Right. Yeah. He's pitched like 140 big uh, professional innings in six years. So, I mean, he's easy to forget about, but you're absolutely right. Hunter Harvey with that 98-mile-an-hour fastball, he's definitely got to be excited about. And you said that these players are excited for the analytics. First of all, when the new regime came over when and Hyde got here and Elias and Mydell, they said the, uh, the average major league team has 11 people in their analytics department. The Orioles had one. Let me repeat that. The Orioles had one one, one web One web developer that they called an analytics department. Right, yeah. exactly. So – they were so behind the curve, and they're finally starting to get caught up. And it'll be a couple of years till we see the labors of that, oh, or, yeah, or the fruits right. of their labors. Excuse right, me. Right. But yeah, any young player should be excited to learn what's going to make them better. Because at the end of the day, what, are, what aside from being competitive, what do these players want when they're playing in the major leagues? Millions of dollars. And the millions of dollars come once you get better. Mm-hmm. And if something's going to make you better, aside from steroids, we've been down that road. Right. Why wouldn't you do it? But if you're and if you're at a competitive disadvantage against guys that you're competing with in other divisions that have on other teams that have this information, you know that's going to make you pretty bitter. And it's not just young players, like you said; it's veterans. Like I was talking about Britton and Brock, and I'm sure Dylan Bundy is going to be you know ecstatic to try to figure out like what do these really smart people see that happened to me over the last couple of months that let me to like lead the league in home runs given up. Well, and yeah, Dylan Bunny especially should be excited because he wasn't just a, a first-round pick because of his fastball. Right. You know what I mean? So so it's in there for him to be a good pitcher, and if these analytics can make him realize that potential, I'm sure he's all for it. And he's playing for a contract, like you said. Like, he, like even the Astros that have that secret sauce, like, say Bundy becomes a free agent, like, right now he has no leverage. Like, they could offer him the league minimum and say, we can fix you, but why should we pay you any more than that right now? Right. 
Right. No, that's that's an excellent point. I, I think he's this is this is his third big league season. So I think, or is it his fourth? Uh, he was in the, he was big in the bullpen in sixteen. Yes, yes. So this is his fourth big league season. So this is his first year of arbitration. This this off season. So of course this guy's going to want to come out there and he's going to want to earn more than six hundred thousand dollars a year. So you're absolutely right about that. So uh, you just mentioned the bullpen um, briefly when you were talking about Bundy, but mm-hmm. it kind of one of the things I want to talk about today. What do you think about the Orioles' use of the bullpen yesterday? Now, they started with Carnes. Now, Carnes is brought in here to be the fourth starter, had that little bit of a setback with his uh, shoulder in, with more of like arm fatigue than anything else uh, in spring training. So he ended up pitching two innings, throwing 33, 33 pitches yesterday as the opener, and the Orioles, it was an all-bullpen game. I was surprised to see Givens in in the eighth, and I was surprised to see it be Blyer and then Wright in the ninth. Now, I think if the Orioles don't take a 5-1 lead in the top of the ninth inning... It's probably still Givens. Yeah, it's probably yeah, still right, Givens. Right. But the fact that it was Blyer in the ninth and Wright in the ninth, and they didn't use one of those guys in the eighth to get to, to Givens in the ninth, what's your take on that? Because I was surprised. I think a lot of people were surprised to see the way they used the bullpen yesterday. Yeah, I mean, that to me was just like one more example from yesterday. And we've already talked about the um, the stolen bases and the tagging up and going from second to third, like one more way um, that this Orioles team is not the same as old Orioles teams, right? Like um, Brandon Hyde is going to use his best pitcher in the highest leverage situation when, which at the time, I think it was three to one in the eighth, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, so that right there was more important because if you bring in Mike Wright and he gives up two runs, what's happening, you know, in the ninth, like maybe Givens never gets in and, it goes back to you know I'm not I'm not, not, not going to bring up Toronto. Forget about it. Just in general, I think it'll be really interesting to see like how often that happens. Well, and that's a good point. You mentioned the high leverage situation and wanting your best bullpen arm in those situations. Right. He was facing basically the heart of the order. I think he faced um, four, five, six, seven, and he gave up one hit uh, sandwiched in between. I think it was three strikeouts. Three strikeouts. I think um, the single was void. So yeah, yeah single, it would have been the single was void. Two, three, four, five. Yeah. Right. So you're looking at he's got I didn't even think about that. He's got to get through the heart of the order. And who do you trust out of your bullpen to get through the heart of the right, order? Right. Michael Givens. He's right. the guy. Not Mike Wright. Exactly. Which, hey, shout out to Mike Wright, man. I I could not believe what he did yesterday. Neither one like, like once he came in, <laughs> he like goes up and in on Stanton. Like like Stanton's a guy who's gotten hit in the face before. Like he's mm-hmm. not wearing that thing on his face like everyone wears now be just he started For the heck that of it, trip. right? Like, yeah, he started it. Uh, you know, you know what? Mike Wright does not give an f. <laughs> he's he's going <laughs> to go in here, right? Exactly, and that's after um, on Thursday he came in and what he, he walked a guy and hit a guy and he was kicking the dirt and he was just just the same old just hothead Mike Wright. I'm Too like, amped up. Dude, like, dude, there's no way he's going to be able to handle a save situation in Yankee Stadium. And to his credit, my shock, he did it. Yeah, and to be perfectly honest with you, that hit that he gave up to Voight. That ball's got to be caught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That ball, yeah. Rickard's got to catch that ball. And, I yeah, mean, like, he he pitched well. I was surprised. I posted on Twitter. I was like, so, Mike Wright's your guy here. Hmm. And, <laughs> right. sure enough, he gets the job done. Yeah, he you know? did. Even Blyer that inning. Like, the home run to Tulo, that's only a home run in, in Yankee Stadium, right? Right. So, like, it was just like, all right, all of these things are happening. 
this is literally last year all over again. Like every little thing is going to happen, and then Ed Duhar is going to blast it, and we're going to lose. That's exactly what I. That's not what happened. Happen. I, I, like I said, I was watching the game cast on my phone, right? And whenever there's a uh, a ball put in play, and there's no there's no outs, it says either ball in play, no outs, or ball, ball in play, play, no runs, outs, runs. runs. Right. And I saw ball in play, <laughs> runs, and I said, and then I looked at his stat line, and it said one home run. I didn't remember seeing that before. I'm like, this dude just hit a home run to tie the game. Are you kidding me? Sure. Luckily, it was that blue hit that should have been called. But I, I had a bit of a meltdown yeah. for a split second until I realized. But, you know, it's it, it's nice to see the guys pitch well. Um, it's still early on. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I think we'll see a lot of that from Hyde. Um, and uh, sort of being – a lot of people think he's like a puppet for Michael Elias, which mm-hmm. whatever. You know, if the numbers say use Michael Givens against the heart of the Yankees order when you're up by two runs in the eighth inning, let's do it. You know, maybe the Orioles don't win that game last year, right? Like maybe last year, instead of having the opener Carnes, maybe Dylan Bundy starts and he's not quite ready. And in, in, instead of the Orioles giving up one run over the first eight innings, maybe they give up five and they lose. Right. 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 So it's I don't know. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm very curious to see like how many games like that that you'll look at and be like, hmm, I wonder. I don't think they win that game last year. Right. I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of games where it's like you know. They would have won that game last year because they had good players, and Manny Machado would hit two home runs, and you know, oh man, they would have won for that I'm, reason. I don't know that I'm ready yet still to talk about Manny. Yeah, but I'm not sure how he's doing. I saw um, Adam Jones has two home runs already. He does. Yeah. He has two home runs. He batted the first game lead off for the Diamondbacks and homered, and then he hit clean up the next day. Had a, had a double. And he had two more hits yesterday, including the home runs. So Manny, on the other hand, his Padre. Um, I saw he had two strikeouts and a, and a, a double play, like his started, first three at bats. He started his Padres career over five with four strikeouts and a double play you know it and sounds he, a lot like he started his Dodgers career I think yeah you know M- Manny last year man he was even in that lineup with nobody else producing the dude's hitting over 324 home runs at the all-star break and then he came back down to earth after he got traded someplace else talk about a guy rising to the occasion when he knows he's playing for a 300 million dollar contract that dude wanted out of Baltimore in the worst way I don't care what anybody says and that's why he performed the way because he goes if I perform I'm getting traded Big ups for him. Um, let's go back to players that are currently on the roster. Yeah, um, absolutely. I want to talk about this. Um, earlier this week, there was an article on Baseball Prospectus um, where the writer basically power-ranked the 25-man roster on, like, what are the chances, 1 one through 25, that these players are on the next good Orioles team? Like, what is the chance that these players are the Jose Altuve of the Orioles? Like, Altuve was on the Astros in 2013, like, they were going through the rebuild. Who are the guys on this roster right now that might be that? And so what we're going to talk about first is I'll just go ahead. I'll do the bottom five, and you tell me your thoughts. So n- number 21 on their list was Pedro Severino. Number 22, Chris Davis. 23, Jesus Sucre. 24, Andrew Kashner. And 25, a guy we just gave a big ups to is Mike Wright. Okay. So, so just to recap, Mike Wright, according to this guy on baseball prospectus has the lowest chance of being a star on the next good Orioles team. Well, the only reason it's surprising is because Andrew Kashner has a team option for next year. And there's no way the Orioles are picking that up. So I can't imagine that he'd even be on the team next year. So he's on 
the first full year of a rebuild, so I would have him 25. But uh, Well, Mike Wright's out of options, and unless the Orioles sign him to a contract extension, that's why he's 25th. Um, are they possibly thinking about Adley Rutschman with Pedro Severino and Jesus Sucre being in the bottom five? And we're not talking about the Orioles front office. We're talking about the writer who wrote this publication. Right, right, right. Um, is he thinking about the fact that you have Cisco, Cisco in the minors and the Orioles have the first pick in the draft and they could go after Rutschman? Um, so Severino at 21 and Sucre at 23, also not surprising. Uh, Chris Davis, he's got four years left on that contract, and I think that anybody who has a little bit of baseball intellect knows that the Orioles at this point don't care about the guy's contract. They're not going to cut him loose to start this year because, you know, you still want to get value. Try to get something, right? Right. Yeah. But there's like four years, 84 million left. It's a lot to ask. Like I hear a lot of Orioles fans say that like, the obvious, the obvious tell that the Angelos sons or or dad like have ha, still have their hand in the pot is that Mike Elias would have cut Chris Davis, right? No way. I don't really buy that either. Like, it's a lot to ask, like in your first year as GM, to say, "Hey, boss, you need to eat this eighty-four million dollars. Just get over it." Like, if that happened, like I, I would, I would applaud it. I'd be, but I'd be shocked, right? right. Like, it, it's not fair to expect that. It's not fair to expect that. And what happens if you cut him before the season even starts and then he goes to a National League team who uses him in a better way and the next thing you know, maybe he's hitting 240 with 32 home runs this year. You know, And again, if, if that's what you... You're not, you're not paying $23 million a year for 240 with 32 home runs, but it's certainly a hell of a lot better than what he's providing. Right, it's something. So, But I, 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 people seem to think that Davis will have a long leash this year because of the contract. I think that if by June... He's not producing at a level they think is acceptable. That there's a chance he could be gone, or at least relegated to the bench full time. Right. He um he, he is in the lineup today, right? He is. Yeah. He is. He was not in the lineup yesterday against Big Maple. He's in the lineup today against Hap. Right. Like a lot of people are like, oh, he's going to be benched against all the lefties. Eh, let's slow down, maybe. Right. Not yet. Yeah. We'll we'll see. They had they're facing. Well, they were supposed to face three straight lefties, but um. Oh my gosh, I can't remember the damn name of the pitcher for the Blue Jays, but he got scratched from the stage. Right, right, right. It's all, righties, it's all righties in Toronto um, starting tomorrow. So Davis will be in the lineup. Uh, Cedric Mullins, another guy who they were trying who so far it seems like they don't want him p- batting against lefties because he can't hit from the right side of the plate. Right. Um, how he became a switch hitter if he can't hit lefties, I'm not sure. But um, that's another guy who they said he's going to play. Elias, not Elias Hyde said he's going to play all three games in Toronto. Um, but. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how, right. how it goes. So, yeah, let's go to the other side of that list. These are the top five players in this writer's estimation that might be stars on the next good Orioles teams. And there's some, some there were some surprises here, I think. So his number five was Rio Ruiz. What do you think about Rio? He had a nice little double yesterday, scored a run. Rio is one of those guys who I actually, when, for Utah Street Report, I, I do write for Utah Street Report in, in addition to this. Yes, he does. To this. Uh, Very well, I might add. Thank you. In addition to this podcast, um, I have Rio Ruiz as making the team as the Orioles third baseman and Nunez not making the team. Paul and, did. Paul was, I'm pretty sure, the only one who in mid-March thought Rio, Rio Ruiz would make the team. So big ups, Paul. Thank you, sir. Um I just I like his makeup. He's he's a good defender. He's got a strong arm. It's not Machado like, but he's got a strong arm over third base. He makes all the plays that he needs to make, and he's got a good bat. He's had some success at the minor league level that hasn't translated to the major league level. But he's what twenty four, twenty five years old. You know these guys all you know develop at different at different paces, and 
on a young team, I think that this is a player that's hungry enough that he's going to come up here and he's going to seize every opportunity. When he came up with a runner in scoring position on Thursday, I knew he was going to get a base hit. There was not a doubt in my mind because that's what he did all spring. And sure enough, he hit a base hit up the middle. I'm not surprised at all to see him in the top five. A little surprised to see Bundy because I think a lot of people think that Bundy might get traded before the Orioles rebuild. Number four is Dylan Bundy. I hadn't said that, but go right ahead. Yeah, no, I was, I was a little bit surprised to see Bundy in there. Um, I think that this year, if he has a big year this year for the Orioles and pitches to the to his capabilities. If he's not at 90 pitches and three and two-thirds. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> if, if That's he, so O's. It's so O's. <laughs> if, he, if he, you know, they could trade him for prospects or they could sign him to another contract. I think that, you know, there's a chance that he could be part of the rebuild and part of the success that comes after the rebuild. But right now, if he pitches like he did last year, he's not going to be here. Um, Number three, Cedric Mullins. Cedric Mullins. Uh, he's looking more and more to me like a fourth outfielder. So here's what the writer said. Already looking entertaining with the potential to go 15-15. That's 15 home runs, 15 steals. Uh, Mullins is the most traditionally good prospect on this initial roster. Count him as the chalk pick. But 15 homer power sometimes turns into way, way more pop for hitters with the bat-to-ball skills he appears to possess. Is he going to bat left-handed full-time? Yeah, there you go. That's that's my question. He at least possesses that from the left side. Yeah. Um, number two, Renato Nunez. Um, go ahead and read what you had about what the, what the guy wrote about him. Yeah, sure. I found All right. very interesting. Here we go. Um, Well-known in prospect circles as far back as 2010 because of his large signing bonus, Nunez still won't turn 25 until next week. The slugger factory out in Oakland lost him on a waiver claim that eventually led him to Baltimore. And in his first semi-regular playing time in the majors, he wasn't bad, slashing 275, 336, 445, and 220 plate appearances. Can he play third base? Not exactly. Does it even matter? Unclear. There you go. I thought that there was something about him being the, having the potential to hit 40 home runs. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Despite Trey Mancini, smart money is flooding in on Nunez for the very pop... Very popular prop bet. Most likely Oriole under the age 30 to rip off a 40-homer season. Yeah. Um, and he has a home run today. He does have a home a run th- today. Uh, Earl Weaver special. Yes. Yeah, threw in homer in the first inning. Yeah, we had the bases loaded. Yeah, bunnies loaded. Moving right along. Moving, <laughs> moving right along. Um, yeah, uh, Nunez, he's one of those guys. It, I, I look back and I think about Gary Matthews. And I think about Luis Matos, where they come up here and they get their cup of coffee for the last third or half of a season, and they perform well. And then the next year they come out and they're a dud. And that's what I fully expected to happen from Nunez. Um, if he's got that that power that translates to the major league level, because he did, he he was he was a big home run guy in the minor leagues. If that power translates, he stays on the roster. They're they're, they're going to keep him. If nothing more than a DH, right? Because you want to have that home run threat in the, in the order. And we did mention he had that Earl Weaver, Weaver special in the first inning today. You know, I, I, I that's a that's a TBD for me with with Nunez because I have to see more. Right. I, I like what I've seen so far, but I have to see it for a full season. If it, talk to me in August or September, and, and we'll look at his numbers then. I like him a lot. Um, we talked about Ruiz, and he made a nice diving play yesterday. Um, you were at work, so you probably didn't see it. He made a nice diving play. Um, it was like his his throw was bad. They bounced probably five times going to first. I did see that. But play. if Nunez is at third, that's a double, right? Hundred percent. I think the announcers alluded to that too. So that's the difference. Uh, the the number one player on their list, most likely player on the Orioles' current twenty five man roster to be a star 
on the next Orioles team, Drew Jackson. This actually doesn't surprise me. Um, he changed his swing last year. Yeah, and it here produced... you go. A BP annual comment notes that Jackson abandoned the, quote, Stanford swing, which is flat, sloppy sort of contact swing taught most notably by the college coaches at Stanford, where Jackson went, and Virginia. In professional ball, it's suboptimal. So herein lies a compelling narrative. Jackson already possessed strong defensive abilities at second base and shortstop. That renovated swing produced 15 homers and 410 plate appearances last season in the Texas League and will be cited for decades as the spark that set off the great story of traded Rule 5 draftee turned star Drew Jackson. Where did um, Mike Elias and Sigma Dale come from and where did Brandon Hyde come from? You have Brandon High coming over from the Cubs, and you had Elias and Mydell coming from the Astros, and who were two players that played one for the Cubs, one for the Astros. Marwin Gonzalez in Houston and Ben Zobrist in Chicago. And I think that these guys, these talent evaluators nice. on this ball club, view Drew Jackson of the same ilk. I thought about this a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't put it out there because I didn't want to embarrass myself if I was wrong, but I think that he is potentially viewed as... A Ben Zobrist, Marwin Gonzalez type. I like that. I like that. I, w- I, I would have never put that together. So, um, that's why I think that's why he's at the top of this list. Got, the guy can run. The guy can play defense. And he showed last year that given the opportunity, he can hit. Um, maybe, again, hasn't translated to the major league level yet because this, this is his debut. Right, yeah. And last year, he was only about a 260 hitter. But he hit 15 home runs last year. I like his swing. I like his game. I think he's a gritty baseball player, and I think he's the type of player that every team needs. And if he's going to be like a World Series MVP like Ben Zobris or a 300-hitting super utility guy like Marvin Gonzalez, I can see why he's at the top of the list. Yeah, man. It's a um, very interesting conversation. We are running out of time here. You got anything you want to get in before we uh, close up shop here, Paul? Um, just briefly, I want to say that one of the big losses for the Orioles this year um, that I'm still not getting over is the loss of Joe Angel in that broadcaster booth. And for me, I loved – people loved John Miller here. I loved Joe Angel that much more. I had him better than John Miller in my mind. And I was wondering if – and we'll talk about it really because I know we got to get, get running here. Uh, but I did want to fit this into the show. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that Joe, that Joe Angel – had talked about retirement at the end of the last year. Do you think he sprung this on the Orioles because they had to go get this guy, Kevin Brown. He's only going to do 56 games right. this year. And it, it, I feel like he left the Orioles scrambling. Do you think it was planned? Or do you think he said, you know what? I'm not here for the rebuild. I, I got to go. It's tough, man. Um, I don't want to speculate, um, but I will. Cause you know, we're podcasters. That's what we do. I feel like it, it may have had something to do with his good friend, Frank Robinson passing away. Uh, it was sort of like right after that, he, um, we saw the article, I think it was from Rich Dubroff, that said like he, he was going to retire, and then it was like three or four more days until um, a- Angel himself confirmed it. And yeah, like that's that that's a bitter pill to swallow because if you have to watch slash listen to another 100 lost team, like it would have been nice to hear the sweet, soothing sounds of Joe Angel. Yeah. And now, you know, I'm out there doing yard work, and I turn on the radio – and it's Jim Hunter and Mike Bordick. And maybe there's people listening who like them. They're not my cup of tea. And, like, I, I'm just I'm just fiending for Joe. Um, I, and the difference between him and John Miller, like, I still use the at-bat app to listen to San Francisco Giants games just to hear um, Jim. 
John Tim? Miller. John Miller, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, like, you can't do that with Joe. He's just gone. Yeah. And we were not prepared for it at all. Like, you need time. Like, Dodgers fans had, like, a whole year to, like, know, like, Vin Scully was retiring. Like, we need to, like, take in every every word he says. The Orioles fans would have loved to be able to say, I, I want to take in uh, every in the win column. Like, Oh, it sucks not to have that anymore. It really, really does. You kind of felt like he was there with you. Like you're going through this te- this terrible year with the Orioles. Joe's going through it with you, and now he's not there. And we don't, we don't. I mean, you got. I try not to say anything bad about Jim Hunter because I grew up down the street from him, and I I, I was friends with his son, so I like Jim Hunter. Um, but yeah, like you, I said, just not my cup of tea. Yeah, no, he, and he's not for everybody. You get um, you get Mike Bordick in there, and then you have this guy Kevin Brown who sounds good, but you don't know who he is. Um, you know, you, you felt like you had a friend. You felt like you were listening to your friend. Absolutely. On the radio, and and now he's gone, and it was out of nowhere. Which I think is the ultimate compliment to pay to a broadcaster, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like like Vin Scully. You were sitting down to to watch a ball game with a friend. Yeah, I agree. Well, hey, I think that's going to do it for us. I think that's all of our time. So thanks for tuning in to the Payoff Pitch on Birdland Radio. It's been a lot of fun with you, Derek. Uh, the first show that we've actually done together, and it was a lot of fun for me. We had a yeah, lot man. to talk about. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, before we go, I want to thank Josh for hosting this uh, in his awesome studio. This is the third Birdland Radio, not quite uh, third annual, but it's third one overall, uh, hopefully the best overall, and hopefully something that they do again, and we'll be back. Yeah, and guys, uh, tune in to the Payoff Pitch. We're going to be shooting every Wednesday, so uh, look for more content. We'll be here with you all year. And go O's. And always, utahstreetreport.com. Go O's.